Today is a exhibition in trust. I do not know what's on the screen behind me. I don't have a monitor to look at. They could be making funny faces up there on the screen and I wouldn't know it, except you'd be laughing, uh, which you might be anyhow. Before we begin, <clears throat> I like to have a time of prayer and I like to pray for our pastor and his wife and their children. Let's pray. Father, in your great infinite wisdom, you determined before the foundation of the earth that you were going to institute an organism called the church and that you were going to give to your church gifted, spirit-filled individuals whose purpose is to build us up so that we can do the work of the ministry. And Father, I thank you for Pastor Chad. I thank you, Lord, that you've brought him here to us. Father, may we esteem him highly for his work's sake. But Father, more than that, may we esteem him highly because he is a gift from you to us. May we esteem all of your gifts highly. And Father, I pray for Vanessa. Lord, she is a gift of God to the man who is a gift of God to us. We thank you for her. Father, I know from experience what a pivotal role the pastor's wife plays in the life of the pastor. Thank you for her, Lord. Thank you for her kindness, her graciousness, her godliness. And then, Father, we thank you for True and Solomon. For, Father, they give the pastor and the pastor's wife real down-to-earth experience in dealing with people. Because, Father, so many times we act like children. So, Father, thank you for them. And, Father, I pray as they are aside this Sunday and next Sunday that you would give them rest, that you would give them uh, a restoration of soul and spirit, that they might return, Lord, just even more excited, more passionate, if that's possible, Lord, to minister to us. So, Father, thank you for them. And, Father, we ask your exceeding blessing upon them today, whatever they do. For I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Most of the time, people come to church to learn something new. Isn't that true? You come to church, you want to learn something new. Well, my goal today is not for you to learn anything new, okay? My goal for you is deeper than learning a truth, than getting some head knowledge. My goal for you today is that God might touch your heart. I want it to go beyond the intellect and get into the area of our emotions. 
Get into the area of, of where it really affects the way we feel about things. And to that end, I, I want to talk today about a couple daughters. Now, I have a couple daughters. Maybe that's why I was attracted to this passage. They aren't related daughters, but they're a couple daughters in Scripture. So if you brought your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. <coughs> Luke chapter 8. Let me just read it for you. In fact, tell you what, close your Bible. Close your Bible. I don't want you to look at your Bible. In fact, I don't want you even to look at me. I want you to close your eyes. Because I want you to visualize. Now, don't go to sleep, okay? That's a horrible way for a pastor to start off a sermon telling people to close their eyes. <clears throat> I want you to visualize this story in your mind. I want you to see it in your mind's eye. So here we go. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they'd been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years from constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. <coughs> the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, and he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. She immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. 
All right, open your eyes. Let me check. Okay, good. This passage is full of emotion. It comes from a, a scene that, that you have two stories and, and they're interwoven together. The, the ingredients are nothing short of, of life and death. Now, Jesus has been on the east side of the bank uh, of the Sea of Galilee. If you remember when the children of Israel went into the promised land, there were three tribes that stayed on the east side of the bank, Dan, Gad, and Reuben. And when Israel and Judah were taken away into captivity by Assyria and Babylon, um, those tribes kind of became quasi-Jewish. Okay? Um, if you, th this passage follows the passage of Scripture where it talks about uh, Jesus casting out a, a demonic man, uh, casting out the demon, and the demon's going into a herd of pigs. That tells us right away it's quasi-Jewish. A real Jewish community would not be raising pigs over there. <coughs> then remember that story. Remember that rather than hailing Jesus as a hero for healing this demonic man, Instead, they asked him to leave. You've all heard the saying, I'm sure no good deed goes unpunished. That was true for Jesus as well. So now Jesus crosses back over the Sea of Galilee. He's now back on the West Bank into the, the mainline Jewish community there. And people have been waiting for him to return. In, in, in Luke 8.40, it says, On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. <coughs> now, let's just pause for a minute and think. Why were the crowds waiting for Jesus? Was it because they wanted to hear another sermon? Is that why they were waiting for him, you think? You think they were waiting for him because he was a famous person. His reputation had gone out and people had heard of him and they wanted to go see this famous person, Jesus. I think we can rule out that there was nothing good on TV. Okay, that one would not apply here. Or was it they just were curious? That they wanted to see what Jesus, what was going to, to do next. A little over a hundred years ago in our own country, there was an event that would take place in a community that would actually cause the community to shut down. You know what that event was? Anybody? Any ideas? It was the circus coming to town. When the circus would come to town, the whole community would just shut down and everybody would go out to the circus. And I think that is somewhat the attitude that, that the people had when Jesus came to town. I think they shut the town down. Everybody goes out to see Jesus. They, they want to see what's going to happen, what, what, what's going to go on. And in fact, they would be in such a rush to get out to see him, some of them even forgot to bring food, and that's a whole other story. 
Jesus was famous. You know, they wanted to see if he'd do a miracle. What would he do something? You know, something spectacular, something they could tell the grandkids about. You know, I remember when this guy came to town and he did this, you know, and is that why they went to see him? Well, if it was, they were not going to be disappointed because a man comes and he asks for a very spectacular miracle. Go back to, to Mark 8, 41 and 42. It says, a man named Jairus, a leader in the local synagogue, strong Jewish person, leader in the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was only 12 years old, was dying. Now, I think we do injustice to the story if we just think about this intellectually. Twelve-year-old daughter at home, dying. Uh, There's agony here. There's anxiety here. There's fear here. Can you put yourself in this man's shoes for a moment? His little girl, his only daughter, is dying. She's only 12 years old. She hasn't gone through the drama of the teenage years yet. You know, he's still that, 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 she's still that little girl that's been loved and, and that's given love to him. And now, if Jesus doesn't get there in time, she is going to die. Jesus is this man's last hope. In fact, Jesus is this man's only hope. And, and notice that he's pleading with Jesus to heal his daughter. Can you picture that in your mind? I'm sure this man did not walk up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I got a 12-year-old daughter who's sick. Would you mind coming on over? And, and he, yeah. No, he didn't do that. I bet when he came to Jesus, he fell down on his knees in front of Jesus and he had tears coming down his eyes and he was weeping and he was saying, Jesus, please come and heal my daughter. How many men here today have daughters? Yeah, okay. Can you imagine how he felt? Can you imagine if that was your daughter? How this man felt. Can you feel his pain? Well, Jesus leaves immediately in response to this man's plea. Verse 42, the last part, says, As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. So here's a problem. This man has come to Jesus and says, Jesus, I need you to come quickly to my house to heal my daughter. And Jesus takes off right away. But there's this huge crowd around him. This week we went to a Mariners game. Uh, it, was, it was Ken Griffey Jr. bobblehead night. There were a lot of people there. At the end of the game, everybody tried to leave at the same time. Okay. Uh, you're standing there. You, you can't move. You can't go. You, 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 you're waiting. And, and so here, here's a huge crowd around Jesus. They are hindering him from going and healing this man's daughter. Can you feel this man's anxiety going up? 
Time is of the essence. Jesus was ready to go, but the crowd who's come to, to witness something happening is actually hindering that very thing from happening. See, the word had gone out. Hey, Jesus is going to do another miracle. And everybody wanted to get close. Everybody wanted to be around it. They wanted to see it firsthand. You know, they wanted to see what he was going to do for somebody else. This is why they come to see him. But in their excitement to see a miracle, they actually hinder the miracle from happening. The crowd is slowing his progress. Again, put yourself in Jairus' mind. He's anxious. Speed is of the utmost importance. The crowd is slowing them down. They need to go faster, not slower. If these people don't get out of the way, his daughter's going to die. And then if that wasn't bad enough, things get worse. Go down to Mark chapter 8, verse 43. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Let's put ourselves now in this woman's shoes for a moment, shall we? She suffered for 12 years with a bleeding issue. Now the implications of this are many. Spiritually, she was forbidden from worshiping. She was forbidden from entering into the temple. She was not allowed to go and offer her sin sacrifice once a year. Spiritually, she was an outsider. Family implications. A woman was forbidden to have sexual contact. The bleeding issue was also grounds for divorce. Think of the physical implications. Weak from a constant loss of blood. Think of the financial implications. It says she could find no cure. Implied is that she was out looking for the cure. She went to all the doctors. She went to all the medical people. She tried everything. What a financial drain that must have had. And so she comes to Jesus in total weakness, total helplessness, and total neediness. She is at the end of her rope. Apart from a miracle, she has no hope. Now, put yourself back in Jairus' shoes again. When time is of the essence, Jesus stopped and asked a ridiculous question. Who touched me? Everybody was touching him. Didn't Jesus know that there's no time to waste? Didn't Jesus know that this man's daughter was going to die unless Jesus got there quickly? Frankly, who cares who touched him? Everybody was touching him. And then the ever-helpful disciples decided to straighten Jesus out. 
okay? Mark 8, 45. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said... Someone, Peter said, Master, there we go, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, fell on her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she'd been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The disciples, and particularly Peter, had to straighten Jesus out. Had to tell Jesus that he was wrong, that he was a problem. They, they knew better than Jesus. Remember later on when Jesus said, I need to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world? That the, the disciples said, oh, no, Lord, no, you don't. No, no, There's, we got a better plan than that for you. I am so glad I have never argued with God. <laughs> I knew I couldn't say that with a straight face. <laughs> yeah. How many times... Have I told God in so many words, I know better than you do, God. Yeah, I should know better, but I do it anyhow. Anyway, the woman comes to Jesus. She admits what she has done. I mean, Jesus had said, who touched me? And it says when she, when she figured out that she wasn't going to get out of this, that then she came and admitted it. She was hoping that she could get away with it. You know, nobody would know. Okay. I wonder what she expected Jesus to do. I wonder if she, she said, I wonder if he'll be angry with me because I touched him of his garment was healed. I wonder if she thought Jesus would be angry with her. I, I wonder if she thought that Jesus might take back the healing from her that she had received. I, I wonder if she expected to be struck down dead. I wonder. It says she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of Jesus. There is anxiety there. There is fear there. She began to tremble. And Jesus instead says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She got her miracle. She got her healing. But you know what I noticed in this passage? It kind of jumped out at me. What did Jesus call her? Daughter. Daughter. He called her daughter. There's two daughters in this story. Okay. What of the other daughter? This daughter got her healing. What of the other daughter? Well, let's go to Mark chapter 8, verse 49. It says, while he was still speaking to her, still speaking to her, she got her healing. A messenger arrived from home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and he told him, 
Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. All the time that Jesus spends with this other woman, Jairus is standing impatiently to the side. If I know him, and I think I do because I, I have two daughters, I think he's in agony. He, he knows that time is of the essence and Jesus isn't hurrying. And yes, this one daughter got healed, but what about his daughter? What about my daughter? His daughter's dying. Every minute counts. Doesn't Jesus understand that he needs to do something and he needs to do it soon? Why is he taking so long? Jairus has a time frame and Jesus isn't working by it. And then the unthinkable happens. The message comes. His daughter is dead. Jesus has taken too long. Not only that, but he had just wasted the last hours of his daughter's life, time that he could have spent holding her, time he could have spent hugging her. Instead, he spent it trying to get Jesus to come to heal her. And then the thought... Oh, one daughter had been healed, but my daughter died. That's not fair. Can you feel his disappointment? Can you feel his agony? Can, can you feel his despair? I'm glad the story doesn't end here. Okay? Because I told you I, I didn't want you to learn anything today, but if you have to learn something, okay, here, here's something to learn. Jesus is never late. He's always on time. Go down to verse 50. When Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in ex with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. And he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. She immediately stood up and Jesus told them to give her something to eat. I want you to notice that Jesus tells him, to believe one thing and to do two things. Number one thing, believe. Believe that your daughter will be healed. I'm of the firm opinion that believing comes before doing. Believe. Once that belief is in place, then the two doing things could happen. And the two doing things, number one, is don't be afraid. If you don't believe, you're going to be afraid. But belief takes away fear. And number two, have 
faith. Now, none of those things make sense. From a human perspective, none of those things make sense. How could Jesus heal her when she's already dead? How could he not be afraid? The situation was hopeless. How could he have faith? Because Jesus had failed him once already. He hadn't gotten there in time. They continue on to his house, though. Maybe this time Jesus presses ahead and Jairus lags behind, not wanting to acknowledge uh, what he's going to see when he gets there. (laughs) I'm sure before they got to the house that Jairus could hear the weeping and the wailing of the mourners. The Jewish custom was when someone died, you hired professional weepers and wailers to come to the house and weep and wail. Can you feel his pain this morning? Can you feel his agony? He had heard the worst that happened, but he didn't want to get there to experience it, to see it. And then Jesus says the most absurd thing ever. He says, she is not dead. She's only asleep. Is Jesus completely out of touch with reality here? I mean, everyone who hears him laughs at the ridiculousness of that statement. No logical thinking man would say something like that. But then Jesus does the impossible. Jesus does what only he could do. It says he spoke in a loud voice. I think the reason he spoke in a loud voice is he wanted everybody to hear what he was going to say. He had to speak above the weeping and the wailing. And two things happened immediately. Number one, first, the girl is raised from the dead. But that's really not the point of the story. So many times we go to the Bible and we think it's all about us. The Bible isn't about us. Bible is about him. The point of the story isn't that that the, the girl is raised from the dead. The point of the story is Jesus proved who he said he was, God, because only God can raise the dead. If Jesus was just another man, a good man, a wonderful teacher or whatever, he could not have raised a dead girl. Jesus does. What a beautiful story. Beautiful story. A man filled with anxiety comes to Jesus. Things seem to get worse. Been there before? Yeah. But then faith pays off. 
Jesus does more than, than what a, the man who came to Jesus wanted originally. What a demonstration of the power of God to those who trust him. What a challenge to us to trust God. Even when things seem to be getting worse, And then what about the other woman? There's a lesson to be learned from her. The, the woman who touched Jesus and was healed. Let's go back to the question that Jesus asked. He said, who touched me? Now, did Jesus know who had touched him? Yeah, he already knew. So what is the purpose of asking the question? I believe by asking the question, Jesus is making a distinction between her and everybody else. Her touch was a different kind of touch. Hers was not a casual touch. It was not a curious touch. Her touch was a cleansing touch. Her, her touch was a healing touch. See, she had a different reason for touching Jesus than everybody else. She touched him out of a deep personal need. I think Jesus is contrasting her with the curious crowd. She came to Jesus out of weakness. Total helplessness total unworthiness. She had nothing to give Jesus and needed much from him. And that woman went away changed. Those who follow Jesus just to hear another lesson or just out of curiosity, those who follow Jesus just wanting to see him do something for somebody else, went home the same as they came. But this woman went home changed. She came in weakness and left in power. Jesus said he felt power going out from him. She was the recipient of that power. As I thought about this passage of scripture over the past month or so when Pastor Chad had asked me to fill in for him. I got to thinking that really the crowd here represents all the people who come to God through Christ. They come to church. They read their Bibles. They pray but they do not come with any real deep feeling of a need for themselves. They think they can handle their own problems. Now and then, though, someone comes to Jesus in total weakness. Maybe they've tried everything else and it all failed. And, and they reach out to touch Jesus in a way that's different from everybody else that comes. 
They are the ones who go away with a richer, fuller life. You see, Jesus always notices those who come for a special touch. And Jesus exchanges his strength for weakness. Why did Jesus ask who touched me? He already knew. But he wanted others to know that somebody came in total weakness and received strength. She wanted to do it secretly. Jesus had bigger plans for her. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That means admit total inability. That means admit total weakness. That means admit, admit total reliance upon him. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then it goes on and says, and he shall exalt you in due time. Due time is his time. The right time. For those who come to Christ, for those who come to church, not just because it's the thing to do, not just to see what God is going to do in other people, but come acknowledging their own need, their own weakness, God says, I will exchange my strength for your weakness. So I had to ask myself, why am I here? Why do I go to church? Do I go to to see what God's going to do in somebody else's life? Do, do I go just out of curiosity? Do I, do I want to hear just another sermon? Or do I go to church acknowledging my weakness, my failing, my inability, and saying, God, I need a touch from you today? Let's pray. Before I pray again, I want to give you a time for you to talk to God in your own heart, not out loud. You talk to God. Why did you come to church today? To be a part of the crowd? Curiosity? Learn some new little point of doctrine? Or did you come because you wanted a touch from God today? Are you aware of your need, of your weakness, of your inability, of your failing? And would you come to God and say, God, I need your touch. I need healing. You talk to God in a moment, I'll pray.
Heavenly Father, we've looked at your word, at a, a story, a true, real story that's full of agony and despair and hurt and pain and suffering and sorrow. And we see, Lord, that those who came to you asking, wanting, seeking, healing, Father, that you gave that healing. Father, the healing we need today may not be so much physical. Father, I pray for those who need healing emotionally, gone through pain, suffering and sorrow, perhaps betrayal. Father, perhaps their dreams that they've had have been dashed. Whatever their need, Lord, heal their hearts, heal their souls. And Father, as we come together, may we realize that those who come for that special touch from you, you will in no wise reject. But you will satisfy the deepest longing of their heart. Thank you for being a God who's all-knowing, who's all-loving, who's all-powerful, who's all-holy. And Father, you know the right thing to do. You have the power to do it and the desire. So we humble ourselves before you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.